0: All right, everybody. We're going to get started. Uh, I'm Charlie, and this is the podcast to hell and back, or Zoomcast, depending whether you're listening or watching. And uh, we're uh, where are we? We're we're at November 11th, um, and we're at six o'clock in the east coast of the United States. And I'm sitting in my little office where I you know, spend a good part of the day on Zoom sessions, um, which, you know, isn't terrible, but gets kind of like boring uh, in some ways um, to, to do it. But doing this is very much like I never know what I'm going to exactly say. So there's a creativity to it. Um, and what I'm talking about today Here's the thing, I I think you know, if you tuned into this, that there was a title about uh, DBT-based solutions in the sort of the conditions of the pandemic, uh, which add on other challenges uh, to our lives. And so I'm bringing the world of DBT, the principles and practices of DBT to that world, So you certainly don't have to know a thing about DBT to benefit from this, because that's the whole idea of this podcast is that DBT is made up of a group of strategies and ways of thinking and ways of intervening that are for people who are suffering in adversity or dysregulation of one kind or another and are are going through, you know, some version of hell. And uh, DBT was developed for that exactly, a certain kind of hell, but it's really generalizable to lots of situations. So that's, um, that's what this is uh, about. So welcome if you're listening now or if you listen later. Um, I, this is really a follow-up from uh, last time I did, which was, I think, two weeks ago, and where I talked about some solutions, and now I'm just going to continue. But um, I'm going to do a brief uh, kind of, I don't know, framing comment, a framing few paragraphs to explain to you how I think of this because it's evolved even of course since I last talked to you how I think of this and so and it isn't exactly the same as here's a whole bunch of uh specific skills from dbt though I think you'll see in places where skills really are applicable in in this in the context of dbt of pandemic kind of suffering so I want to start with a concept though um Hello? Oh, if you have, a, if somebody has a, um, a microphone on, just to mute the microphone. Um, so uh, I've been thinking about shapes and, um, and in a particular way, because during the pandemic time where I've had more time at home, not only have I gotten to know my dogs much better and gotten to know my wife in a different way. I gotten to know my house in a different way. And just, you know, when I'm not just busy resenting the restrictions, just living within them and noticing things. Um, one of the things that's happened to me is I've returned to uh, something I did a long time ago, which was playing the guitar. And I'm learning it in a new way now where shapes are very important. And this may not be obvious why I would be talking about this yet, but But the way shapes can be really important in guitar playing is that if you want to play a C chord, um, you can play it right there where it usually is at the base of the the fretboard. And uh, just, you know, you know how to make a C with your fingers. And that's the C shape is what you do down there by the base of the, the fretboard, by the end of the fret frets um, is that you can make a C shape and that'll make a C chord, which is hit certain notes, C's and E's and G's uh, in the scale and a couple of others, actually, uh, sometimes. And, um, And you can also make a C chord if you go up five frets, but you play the shape of a G chord. And you can make a G chord if you play a C shape but you take it up to the seventh fret. And there's a million combinations like that. In other words, you can play a C chord anywhere on the guitar or a G chord or a D chord or an E chord anywhere on the guitar if you know how to use the shapes and know how many frets to go up with those shapes. And that's just brilliant. Um, it's a way of allowing you to play the guitar all up and down the neck of the guitar. So it gives you a lot more flexibility. It takes a lot of practice to know, you know, to do that. And I realized that that's what I'm doing with um, DBT is that I sort of think after, especially after the book that I wrote on DBT paradigms and principles in action, um, that DBT solutions come in the form of three shapes. And there's a lot of solutions within those three shapes. You can play those three shapes all over your life. Uh, And I don't know how well this metaphor or analogy holds up, but I'm going with it anyway. What I was just thinking about today is that actually it's three shapes that I use in coping with uh, adversity. Uh, And each shape brings with it certain sets of strategies and skills in DBT. You don't need to know all the strategies and skills to benefit from this. Though it probably helps the more you know, of course, the more, the more mm, practical it becomes. So I'll try to give examples as I go. But shape number one, which I talked about mostly in the last podcast, is the shape of a straight line. So just imagine that a fair amount of your solutions in life are based on the paradigm of a straight line going from point A to point B. And I'm just going to summarize this briefly because I went over it last time. Uh, And maybe it might be a little different in my mind now. So the first shape is a straight line. So a straight line just means you're in point A now. Maybe you're in point A is during the pandemic. You're sitting at home or you're stuck in some wherever you are and you're there all the time. And you want to um, break out of that. You want to change that. You want to change your experience. And you just decide, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna go from point A to point B. A point B could be any of eight million things, right? I mean, point B could be, I'm not gonna stay in this room. I'm gonna go in a different room. I'm gonna go for a walk outside. I'm gonna go bake something or cook something. I'm gonna go play a musical instrument or try. I'm gonna go watch some YouTube thing. Uh, I'm gonna call a friend. All of these, some of them are very big steps from point A to point B. Some of them are little steps from point A to point B. But a lot of life is getting from point A to point B. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant because it accomplishes a lot of things. Getting from point A to point B may accomplish something that gets you closer to some of your goals. Even if your goal is right now that you just want to regulate a sad feeling better. Or your goal is that you want to get back in touch with a friend or you want to build a relationship better. Or you want to go on a walk and get some exercise or get some fresh air. All of these, it's just brilliant because straight line functioning, straight line problem solving is just going from here to there. And there's more and less skillful ways of going from here to there. Um, But every time you go from here to there, especially if it's difficult. I sort of break it down into five steps and each step sort of has its own world of solutions attached to it. So the first step is determining what point B is going to be. So sometimes you just sit around and one of the problems you're having is actually you don't know what you wanna do and you don't feel like doing much and you're kind of in a quagmire, you're kind of in quicksand and you're emotionally going down and you don't feel very good. And there you are, and you feel there's no point in anything, or you feel empty, or whatever it is, or you're bored, and there you are. So you determine a direction, you determine a point B, a destination, and that already creates momentum, if you start to think of that. Within the world of DBT, that's the correlate of that is if you're a DBT therapist, you're determining the targets of treatment and you're tackling one target at a time. And point B is the change of behavior that's represented by that target. But in life in general, point B can be any of the things I've mentioned and so many more. But if you have a point A to point B outlined in your mind, you've got a direction and it's a direction that has some degree of specificity to it. So it's not just general, gee, I think I'll do something. It's G, I think I'll go outside because I meant to put the trash out earlier today, but I forgot. And so point B is getting up, getting to wherever you take your trash. Point B is going and talking to a neighbor that you haven't talked to for a long time. Um, whatever it is. But now that you've got that, there's five steps. So step one is determining a direction. And the skill of term, determining a direction, if you break it down, if it's, if it's a little complicated, is you want something that's specific enough that you can actually direct yourself towards. It's not just something so general as, I think I wanna become a better person. That really is not a very useful uh, de- destination. It's a good value, whatever your value is about that. But the destination is like the goal that you determine with that value. So now you've got a destination and you want to move that way, but you're not moving that way. And so your next step is to generate force to move in that direction. You have to overcome inertia. You have to overcome that stagnation that you're sitting in because you're not doing anything or you don't feel like doing anything. And you have to sort of like get yourself moving. To get yourself moving, you actually have to generate at least enough force to overcome the standstill that you're in right now. And if you get going, it's also the correlate of that in DBT treatment is to get a commitment towards a behavior, towards a target, towards whatever you're going to do is to try to, and there's a lot of work that goes into DBT and how do you get a commitment? So you can really borrow from DBT in life in general and try to generate your force out of a feeling of freedom. Like, I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to choose to do this because I like the consequences of doing this. I'm going to take my trash out because even though I really don't feel like doing it, there's a reason to take my trash out. I can do the pros and cons of taking my trash out or not taking my trash out. I can operate from a sense of freedom. I could take it out all at once or I could take it out a little bit at a time. I can remember that it's been helpful in the past to do it. And I've done other things that are a lot harder than taking my trash out. So even though I'm absolutely depressed and bored today, and I'm just, I don't feel like doing anything, I'm just gonna get myself to take my trash out. I'm sorry I'm using such a mundane example, but try to extrapolate to something that's actually interesting to you. Um, So now I've got a direction and I've got some force going. I overcame my standstill position. But once you do that in anything that requires any step, any further steps or any, um, you know, any level of effort, you have to also account for the third step, which is perseverance. Because you could get yourself going to your garage or wherever you keep your trash. And partway through, you think, you know what? Damn it. I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? There's no point in doing this. I'm going to be home all day anyway. I could do this later. And then you just go back and sit down and uh and and don't do anything. And then you know, then you feel a little bit worse because you started, you had a direction, and then you had some force, and then you lost your force on the way. So how do you generate determination? I mean perseverance. And per- I think of perseverance within DBT and but going beyond DBT as having maybe three or four different sort of characteristics um, or features. Generating de, 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 uh, perseverance often has to do with the conditions you establish within which you're going to do your thing. Let's say you want to be meditating on a regular basis or doing exercise on a regular basis or doing something else on a regular basis. You want to establish the conditions that make that convenient, possible, pleasant if possible, nice if possible. So you don't just go do it any place and do it a different place every day. You find the best place in your house to sit and do mindfulness practice or do yoga or do meditation or do exercise or something else. You decide, I'm going to do it in this particular place that I know is available and that it's a reasonably nice place for me. It's pleasant. I'm not going to get interrupted. And so you kind of decide this is my special place for just sitting and doing a mindfulness practice. Now, that's part of perseverance is you're set it up so that it's going to be easier each day to get into it. A second thing is to have um, accountability. And by that, I mean, like, not that you're necessarily going to report into anybody, but you might keep track of what you've done. And each day you make a mark on something, whether it's a calendar or something else, And you're gonna monitor it and you're gonna reward yourself. I mean, that's part of what I'm talking about right now is being reinforcing yourself for doing it each time you do it. And that that could be as simple as making a mark on your calendar or putting a star somewhere or just doing something that reminds you each time that even some cool special decision that you make. Here's how I'm gonna mark that I do this. Or maybe you establish accountability reinforcement because you do it with somebody else and so you it's hard to it's hard to persevere by yourself with doing certain things but if you're doing it with someone else then it helps you i mean i had a patient once who um has a lot of trouble getting himself to go out on walks, but he wanted to go on walks. He needed exercise and he wanted to go on walks. he thought that was a good idea. And he used to do it in the past. And I never could understand, why could he do it so better in the past? And now he can't do it now. Until one day when I was asking that, he said, I know why. I said, why? Because even though I didn't live with my father, when and before my father died, I knew that he was walking. And so when I went walking, I felt like I was walking with my father. And so he and I would walk together, and I have a brother who runs long distances. And I thought when I was walking, I, I'm doing the same thing as my brother. And so even though he was living by himself in a single room occupancy apartment and having a lot of trouble getting himself to do anything, if he could think he was doing it along with somebody, so, I, so we played with that idea of how can you be accountable to me since I'm not doing much walking either? Maybe you and I, like once in a while, should get together, even during the pandemic, and we should put our masks on and we should go to a park and we should walk in the cold, even if it's cold. And that will show us that we have determination and that we're we're each other's accountability partner. And then even if I'm not doing it at the moment, you can know that I'm going to be doing it and you can report in by a text. So this man actually, even to today... Texts me or leaves me voicemail messages nearly every day about what he's doing. We've, in order to get him to do some other things, we did some cooking together once before the pandemic hit. I went to his apartment once and we made an apple pie together. And now he likes to try to make things in the kitchen. When he does, he thinks he's doing it with me. I mean, and we all do that. Nobody does anything alone. You may think you do things alone. You're doing it because you were with your mother one day and she, or a teacher or a A mentor or a friend, and now you do it supposedly by yourself, but you don't really do it by yourself. You do it because you're accountable to yourself and somebody else. In most cases, especially anything that's hard to do, so there's accountability, there's reinforcement, there's building the right conditions, um, and sometimes you're joining with other people uh, in order to keep it up. You know, I was running my skills group this week, and. They, so mostly it's it's like young adult women. And they were talking about how they get themselves to exercise and keep exercising. And so, one of them said, well, I, followed, I do yoga on YouTube with a YouTube teacher. And she said who the teacher was. And four out of six of them do the same thing. They didn't even know it. It's the same one. She's like the world's pandemic YouTube teacher. Has like 9 million followers or something like that. If you don't know who that is, I think her name is Adrienne. Adri- or Adrienne or drey if you do type something like that in put yoga Adrienne, Adrienne or Adrian and I did it this morning and I found I saw her I said, oh my god first of all she's really appealing and then she t- I mean appealing in a very nice way and she does a million different kinds of yoga for people of all kinds beginners and complex. so yeah there it is so you if you want to build your perseverance, of doing yoga. And even your original force, once you establish the direction and think that would be a good idea. And everybody thinks of doing that, but probably one out of 10 actually do it. And actually, but if you watch her and you put her up on your TV screen or your computer screen, maybe you can get yourself to do it and do it over and over again because she does these 30 day yoga challenges where you do something with her every day. And they're on demand. You don't have to do it all live with her. So there's perseverance. And then there's, what do you do when you hit an obstacle? Because anything that's hard, that you're trying to solve by straight line functioning, destination functioning, point A, point B functioning, you know, you have to overcome obstacles. So if you picture that, I sort of picture a straight line and I would draw it on a screen share uh, whiteboard, but I don't want to, because a lot of people just listen to these. So I want you to imagine, a line going from point A to point B with an arrow on it, but it runs into an obstacle. So there's a hump the line has to run into, and then you're going to get stuck. And you have to either get over the, lo- over the hump or around the hump in order to get to your destination. So how do you do that? Well, that's where you have to have some strategic intelligence. And a lot of DBT is based on figuring out how to get people from point A to point B and then running into obstacles. And those obstacles represent the challenges of life and the challenges of internal life and the challenges of external life. And then you sort of push yourself, and you, and, but you can't just push through those obstacles. You often have to step back and assess those obstacles and figure out what to do about them. In DBT, we use behavioral chain analysis and other forms of assessment to figure out the controlling variables of those obstacles. And then once you see them, oh, 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 I see. For this obstacle, I'm going to have to do such and such. And you brainstorm, which is a kind of a straight line way of functioning. You kind of generate brainstorming, problem solving, moving towards your goals, figuring out your obstacles. So the fourth step is basically brainstorming how to get past or around or over or under the obstacles that you run into. You know, maybe maybe you've got, got a yoga practice going or something like that that you think is good, but actually it's hard to keep sustaining it. You don't really have a partner you're doing that with and it's hard to keep it up. You have to keep reminding yourself why you're doing it. And so then you run into that kind of like mm, drift, the drift away from it. Like, you know what, I don't really feel in the mood to do this today, so I'm just not going to do it today because nobody says I have to do it today. And then you back away from it and then you do that again. And now you've encountered one of those obstacles. And now you have to sort of step back, revisit your force, your commitment, try to figure out if there's a better way to make it it possible to persevere. And you might need to do some different things in order to make it work. And then what's the last step? It's really having the tools with which to get to your destinations and to get over those humps. Do you have the tools? Are you capable of changing your emotional responses, if that's what's getting in the way? Are you capable of changing your thinking about what's getting in the way? And say, yes, it is true that I don't feel like it today. It is true that nobody that I, nobody's telling me I have to do it today. There's no mandated accountability. So how am I going to get to myself to do it? Because there's going to be other days like this. Maybe I just have to remind myself, maybe I have to have it written on my mirror in my bathroom, saying whatever, uh, some forceful statement to yourself that's encouraging and compassionate, but firm, You know, saying, come on, get out there and do your yoga. And, uh, and what's her name on the screen is gonna be really happy that you're doing it. And somehow you get yourself to problem solve because you change your thinking, you change your emotional response you add another skill to be able to do it. You change up where you do it in your house to add a little variety because you're getting tired of the same boring position all the time, the situation. You try to recruit somebody else to do it with you. Whatever you have to figure out, what is the nature of this obstacle and what will I do about it? And then you have to have the tools to be able to do that about it. So those are sort of what I think of as straight line problem solving, destinational thinking. It's brilliant. Uh, A lot of life is made up of this. And not only does it help you move towards your goals again and again and again, whether they're little goals or big goals and realizing your values again and again and again, but it also helps you regulate your emotions. It's not emphasized as much as some things in DBT that are specifically emotion regulation tools and skills and things like that, but actually just being on track helps you regulate your emotions. How many people have I treated that have ADHD? And they, they think they need an antidepressant or they need a treatment of depression and anxiety. And actually, actually, if they get on track and they have some accountability because they they have trouble with executive functioning, which includes straight line functioning, disciplined functioning, monitoring yourself, getting yourself to do things, all those things, it's like poor people that have ADHD just have the kind of a brain that goes against this kind of thinking. And so sometimes um, if they can just get themselves on track, their mood changes with or without um, stimulant medications. So now that's all straight line. That's the shape of straight line thinking. And you can see now what, what I mean by the shape of that is that sometimes I picture the shape itself when I'm stuck and I just think, wait a minute, what's my destination? Is it specific enough? Is it compelling enough? Do I really feel I need to get it done? Do I need to revisit the question of what I'm trying to do? Is, do I, have I even done a thing to try to generate more force towards this? Have I sort of like noticed what it's going to take for me to get on board? Have I noticed, have I done anything to try to increase my perseverance, the conditions, the reinforcement, the accountability factor? Uh, because if I haven't done some of those things, maybe that's the solution. And so that's all this straight line thinking. So what's the shape of the second type of thinking? Because it's really a different world. It is a different world. I swear to God, if you don't know these differences, please take it from me and just enter into the possibility, as you think about this, that actually this is so different that it leads to different different, noticing different features of the universe, noticing different features of yourself and highlighting different ways of functioning that can go hand in hand with straight line functioning. But this is the shape of a circle. And the, and what do I mean by this? The shape of a circle, as I began to talk about last time, is the shape that has to do with no, sort of no destination thinking. Aimlessness, in a sense, in that the goal is just to be present. There's no destination down at the end of the line. The destination is actually right there in this moment. You just have to allow yourself to enter into it. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to like step into the present moment. The present moment is already present. It's just maybe you're not. And then you have to just sort of say, oh, you know what? Let me drop my straight line functioning right now. Let me drop a number of things right now. Let me let go of some things right now and just enter into just kind of like noticing the present moment. How do you do that? DBT is filled with strategies for doing that. You just all the different practices of observing, observing your breath. If you can observe your breath and notice how your mind keeps trying to get back onto either straight line functioning or or planning something or judging yourself or judging the world or whatever it is, the things that pull you away from just being present in the present moment, it's just deadly. Like you're sitting there in your apartment or your house and you just start to think, you know, I'm just gonna notice my breathing. And then you think this goddamn pandemic is driving me crazy. Here I am again, and I'm trying to solve it by just sort of breathing. What a stupid idea that is. And then you get going, and then you are not in present moment anymore. You just entered into sort of some terrible version of straight line thinking that is kind of like critical of yourself. And and everything is bad, and you're thinking about the future, and it's going to be like this for more months. And how can I spend this percentage of my life doing this and I've already spent a year doing this. And so you're thinking of the past and you're sick in the future and you're thinking of all the consequences and it's totally natural to do that but it is not present moment functioning. And, and therefore you don't get the benefits of present moment functioning which I'm gonna tell you in just a minute. You don't get the observations and perspective of present moment functioning which opens the door to other ways of solving life. So there you are. You're doing that, but then you go back and you just notice, you know what? Yeah, I'm having all these thoughts. And there, and and uh, wow, I just opened up a hornet's nest of unhappiness about the pandemic. And then what do you do? You return to noticing the breath. Not because it's very satisfying, but because actually it might bring you in the present moment. Or as I do in my house at this point, because one thing we added in the past year of our lives is a bird feeder. And so there's a bird feeder outside of a window and I can just go sit in a chair that faces that window and I can see the different birds coming and I can just try to discern the different birds and I can notice birds and think, is this the same bird I saw yesterday or is this a brother or a sister or a cousin of that bird? Because it looks a lot the same, but maybe a little different. Or what's that giant woodpecker doing taking over our bird feeder and all the other birds are staying away? you know, And it becomes a whole world of observation. That's just as helpful as observing the breath or observing sensations in the body or observing sounds in the environment or observing yourself as you walk. I mean, it, or as you eat, it's just observing birds or you're looking at the snow if you live where we live uh, or, you know, or you're looking at uh, wherever, whatever it is. But whatever it is, you allow your mind to enter the present moment. Let's say you're taking a walk in your around your block because you want to get the hell out of your house and you want to get a little exercise and you just want to get out of, out there. You go out there and you start walking. You're doing a kind of a destinational thing. You're deciding, I'm going to walk around the block. There's a point A and a point B. They happen to be the same point in that example. But you're walking somewhere and that helps you. Or you're thinking, you know what, today I'm going to walk a mile and then I'm going to walk back. Okay. So you've got these things. And that's very brilliant to do that. But then you get in the middle of that. And you just decide, you know, I'm going to stop for a minute. And I'm going to look at this tree and look at the way the snow is hanging on this tree. And then you just look at it for a while and you allow yourself deliberately and consciously to stop and take in you might say to smell the flowers along the side of the road, but it isn't flowers at this time of year, it's snow or other things. But it's sort of like you allow your mind to open up. And so, in the middle of straight line functioning, you take a break and you just kind of enter into the present moment. And you notice how hard that is to do because your mind will try to pull you back into other things, including judgmental thinking or past thinking or future thinking or planning or anticipation. And then you'll notice anxiety and then you'll notice depression and then you'll notice emptiness and loneliness. And then you 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 know, and then you just try to say, you know what? I'm going back, you know what? I'm just gonna go back into the present moment. I'm just gonna observe what's going on here, including observing what's going on in my mind while I observe what's going on here. And then you stay in an observational stance, something that I've often used as a metaphor to say that, you know, you sit in the balcony seat watching the drama on your own stage, your own drama. And you sort of, you split yourself into two parts. The part that's actually on stage, living out the struggles and journeys and satisfactions of your life. And the guy that's in the uh, balcony seat, that's watching it all happen, if you can identify yourself with the guy in the balcony seat, you can sort of take a little bit of intensity away from that drama. And you can just be in the present moment. So being in the present moment is the first of five steps or five principles of what I'll call acceptance and awareness. And you can see, I mean, I think all of us, I'm I'm probably you as much or more than me, have been using this in a million different ways during your life. And in particular, also during the pandemic, it's sort of like, okay, now I'm just going to do that. Now I'm just going to like my wife, it took her week off this week from work. Um, she didn't go anywhere. She's just going around in our house. She's looking at boxes where there's old letters and photographs and stuff like that. And every time I I see her, she's like, oh my God, you should see the pictures from the kids when they were in second grade. I can't believe this. These are so cute. Or, oh my God, can look at that picture of me? I can't believe I looked that way at our wedding or things like that. It's like, you know, but it's like noticing things that are right there. And she's just living in present moment functioning. And sometimes it's very emotional because you've probably done that. You've probably, like in your house, especially if you're there a lot, gone and looked in an old box and you look at letters. I just got an email from this woman who was my high school girlfriend. Now that I think about it, this is sort of a tangential thought. But it's it, it sort of, uh, uh, she wrote me, she lives in Greece. And that's where her life has been for like, 45 years. And we've stayed in touch now and then. And she writes and she says, I just came across an old stash of letters from you for when we were in high school and the first year of college. And I wonder if you want to have them and see them. I thought, oh, my God. And then she made one more statement. She said, you know, they're so you. I thought, oh, my God, what does that mean? Uh, It wasn't said with any sort of like compliment. They were so you, they're long, you know, and they're dense. I thought, oh shit, that's so me. I'm so, and I really I, I just took a break from my usual functioning. And I sat in a rocking chair that's over on the other side of this room. I just sat and thought about her. I thought about high school and having a high school girlfriend and what it was like, what happened to our relationship, and trying to remember that, and and then remembering what kind of letters I wrote, and then I thought you know what, I bet I have a box where there's a bunch of letters from her. And and so a whole thing opened up that I would say is present moment functioning. I just let myself get entranced by that moment. And that not only made life meaningful for those minutes and opened up some doors for even the future, but in the moment it was mostly just remembering how I felt, and then feeling that in the present moment. It was so cool. Every one of you has done this, I have no doubt. I mean, everybody does this now and then. And um, so that was a prompting event for all these things. And, And so present moment functioning is as brilliant as straight line functioning. It just brings you in this moment. And what do you learn when you're looking through the prism of life? You're looking at life through the prism of present moment functioning. You see different things. It's sort of like you're a different person. It's sort of like there's a present moment person who's you, and there's a straight line destinational person who's you, and they might not be the same person, and they live within the same body. And so the person that's the present moment functioning person isn't looking and saying, "Oh, how am I going to get to point B? And what's what are the roadblocks? And how am I going to overcome the obstacles?" All of which, like I say, is great, but it's not the same. What are you noticing? First you notice when you're in present moment functioning, there is no destination because the destination is the present moment and you're already there. So there could be something either troubling about it, like if you're upset about the fact that your high school girlfriend tells you that you were thick and dense and and, uh, wrote long letters and, and you think, oh no, that's terrible, when it actually probably isn't terrible, but you get thinking that. And so there is there is that, but it's present moment functioning is that you're, you're just taking all of that in now, and you're not going anywhere else with it. If you might start to go somewhere else with it, then you're in straight line functioning. Oh, I'm going to go look for the letters that she might have sent to me. Now I'm in straight line functioning. And so sometimes being in present moment functioning can be the author or the creator of what you want to do next. And that's a brilliant use of present moment functioning in in that circle in that balcony seat so what do you what do you notice and really these are observations that come from 2500 years of meditation practices and buddhism and other spiritual practices and other people's ideas but you know i've sort of summarized them as having four four qualities that you notice if you live in present moment functioning for any length of time one thing you notice, and all of these are teachings within within uh, these spiritual practices. One thing you notice, and each of these is helpful for living in in any kind of suffering and it, to, to reduce suffering. There is non-attachment. So there's the the fact that once you start to look carefully, you realize that a lot of your suffering, if you watch it carefully, you say, "Gee, I wasn't suffering five minutes ago. Now I'm suffering. Why am I suffering now? Well, maybe you got attached to." Maybe I got attached to the idea that, you know, I shouldn't have been a certain kind of person when with my high school girlfriend, you know, and, and I'm, um, I'm actually suffering because I'm stuck on an idea of how I should have been. I'm stuck on an idea of how it should have gone. It's like if you get stuck on the idea that here, the pandemic's going by, and meanwhile, I'm getting older, and meanwhile, I'm, I'm stuck in my house as soon as you start thinking that way, you're getting attached to a certain way of thinking that you should be doing something you're not doing. The world should be doing something it's not doing. Somebody else in your life should be doing something they're not doing. And you get attached to that. You should be better at what you're doing than what you're doing. I mean, when you're a DBT therapist, for instance, you think you should be a better therapist. And the fact is you're as you're exactly as good as you are. And you're probably at different levels of goodness at different moments during the day. And all of that's just reality. But as soon as you impose on reality and you add on some attachment to how it ought to be, you have just instantaneously generated additional suffering on top of the inevitable you know, discomforts or pains of life already, which of course are gonna be there. You know, If you get sick and you think, I shouldn't be sick. I shouldn't have gotten sick. I shouldn't have exposed myself to sickness. You know, I was attached as a kid because I had several hospitalizations as a very young child. And I I learned very early in life, before I was even thinking about very much, that I never, ever, ever wanted to get sick again. And I actually went through from first grade to eighth grade of school with never missing a day of school. It was sort of a matter of pride. And uh, even when I didn't feel good, I'd go to school because I I didn't want to give in to sickness. And I lived with my brother, my younger brother and I lived together in the same room growing up. And and I didn't want him to get me sick. So if he was coughing or just didn't seem well, I didn't want him to cross on my side of the room. And I used masking tape to show there was a line in the middle of our room and he couldn't cross it. And his germs weren't supposed to cross it. So if he was going to cough, he had to cough towards the wall not towards where the masking tape was. And then he would like get at me by just coughing in that direction. And I was so attached to the fact that I shouldn't ever get sick and that he shouldn't have germs that come towards me, that it was like crazy. I mean, and it made for a, lot, a heavy dose of additional suffering, you know, what you might call optional suffering. So, and everybody has their own examples of this because we all get attached. In fact, when we do straight line destinational point A to point B functioning, we get attached to the goal. And then if we can't get there or something gets in the way, it's very hard to just kind of let go and be in the present and then resume as possible. It's more like, God damn it, this is in the way now. And so not only is it in the way and you do need to solve it, but it adds an additional dose because you're attached so that. It's one of the noble pr- truths of Buddhism. There's four noble truths of Buddhism that are taught. And one of them is that the, that's, that everybody suffers. It's inevitable. A second one is that suffering is the result of attachment. The third one is that the resolution of suffering is by letting go of attachments. But by attachments, this doesn't mean attachments to other human beings. This means attachment to shoulds attachment to feelings you want to always feel. attachment to the idea that you don't want to feel certain other things you don't want to do with certain other things and yet it's inevitable. So if you're attached to things that are definitely not going to happen or you're attached to things not happening that are going to happen, you just you just secure your own you know your additional insurance plan that yes, you are now insured of additional suffering. And so it's very hard to let go of a lot of attachments. But it is a practice. It's sort of like, you know, this is how this day should go. I should accomplish, like I have trouble with this stuff because I'm a real straight line functioning kind of person. And when I can't do anything for a while, like I help one of my children with homework right now. And he and I were doing sort of advanced accounting today. I'm becoming a business person as we go along. In the last few months, he and I did an accounting course. Now we're doing another accounting course, figuring out how do, how do accountants keep track in financial statements of long-term operational assets in a business. And I'm like, once we start going into it, even though I have no inherent interest in this, I get interested in it. And I start thinking, yeah, we gotta get this right. He doesn't have that attitude, we gotta get this right. His attitude is, Dad, we just gotta get through this. And we get on Zoom with each other and it happened again today. And we have this characteristic, it's almost a joke. It almost would make for funny, you know, soap opera TV is that it happens every time and so we're doing these things and then he's like uh he's like dad let's move on i say but we didn't understand this yet it doesn't really matter dad it does matter i mean why even do it if we're not going to do it right yeah but dad we're getting we're doing very well we don't have to get a hundred percent and we go back (laughs) and forth about this and, and i i so i get attached Even if I'm doing something that's totally irrelevant to my life, I get attached in the middle of it to doing it well or to doing it right or something like that. And then I suffer. Um, And then whoever I'm with suffers because of another principle we're going to get to, which is interbeing. We just never are alone. We affect other people. We are interdependent. So my suffering becomes his suffering. And actually his solutions to suffering become my solutions to suffering. Thank God for him remember playing golf with him when he was a much littler boy and we played golf. He liked golf. I, I grew up playing golf and I'm, I'm playing. And of course, same thing. I think I've got to play well. And uh, after not playing for many years and get out there and I'm like, I hit a bad shot, it's like, oh, damn, oh, damn. And this boy, he was like 10 years old and he comes up to me, cause I'm a bit tall and he was of course only 10 years old and he reaches up and he put his hands on my shoulders. He said, dad, he said, what? Dad, listen to me, I said, what? He said, he said, just go to your happy place. I said, Ruben, I'm not happy. Just go to your happy dad. You're going to be happier if you just go to your happy place. I mean, this is a like a DBT prodigy, I guess, because it was a brilliant idea. But I, I had trouble, so I'm always dealing with problems with attachment, attachment to doing it right, attachment to having something to do. And when I do meditation, I just see my mind go in that direction. But I have grown better and better, actually, at just noticing that that is part of who I am, but it isn't something I have to act on. That it's what Thich Nhat Hanh would call my suchness. I love this adjective, or a noun. It's a noun, I guess. But you know, everybody has their suchness. It's kind of who you are. So I, I was, uh, str- I was, I, I struggle with those things. I'm sure you struggle with those things. And during the pandemic, we struggle of wishing things were different. And when we do, we add or add to our suffering. And it's completely understandable. But the tr- the the way out of that suffering is to over and over and over again, let go. First have to notice what am I attached to and then see if you can let go of it. And that doesn't mean you won't think about it but it means you're less devoted. You're less attached to the things you're attached to. It isn't an all or none phenomenon. You're just able to let go of some of your attachments. You know, I've, I've worked with a man who's attached especially it's worse during the pandemic. He's very frustrated in his life. The pandemic was a major disruptor of his life. And he has to, and there aren't many people he can see because of the virus. So he sees his elderly mother. And then he says things and she doesn't have good hearing. And then it drives him crazy. And then she does things with her technology that is not quite right and it screws up. And he's like a technological maven. And he likes us. Mom, I fixed that webcam so that people could look out on the the driveway and now you've interrupted it. It's not working. How dare you do that? And he's so attached. So a lot of our therapy is about helping him let go of his attachment to the fact that his mother should be a technological maven like him or his mother should be able to hear like she did as a young woman uh, or things like that. So I'm just trying to throw in examples and anything that specifically has to do with the pandemic, because there are so many additional overlays with the pandemic. What else, what's a, what's a second thing, if you're looking at the world through present moment glasses? What else do you learn? What do you notice? What other truth is out there? It is the truth of impermanence. So you start to notice that even though we are, in a sense, attached to the idea that things are solid, that the world is a solid place, and it's the same from day to day, that, that when you do this that when you do the same thing you'll get the same outcome. When you see the same person, they'll be the same person they were last time. Uh, all of these things where we think that or you know if you're feeling well now, you should feel well tomorrow. that actually deeply, the more you look carefully and examine certain situations, there isn't any such thing because every single atom, every molecule, every piece of tissue in the body, everything around you, everything, even the the wall next to me is changing every second. And that's just a profound discovery if that's not how you think And Most of us don't grow up thinking like that. We think, oh, this is permanent. Like I think lately people have been thinking, oh, maybe democracy isn't permanent. Maybe we've made a lot of assumptions about, oh, the United States functions a certain way. People function a certain way. I function a certain way. I'm a certain kind of person with all these people. But actually, if you look carefully and allow yourself to see it, things change constantly. Now, what's the value of that other than just being, you know, could be totally frightening and depressing? I mean, because for one thing, it helps you treasure the present moment. The present moment is the only one and it will never return. It will never be the same as this one. So even though you're in a pandemic and you don't like some of the conditions of the pandemic, what you're doing right now in listening to this podcast and what you're doing with your life today, whatever the moment was when 12 noon struck today, it will never happen again. So it's wise, given that, if you want to live your life and feel you've lived a full life. You can live a full life even if you never leave a room. You know, across the river from where I live was where Emily Dickinson lived. And this woman lived a lot of her life in one little room at one little table where she had these little note cards where she wrote poetry. And it's amazing, if you ever get to Amherst, Massachusetts and visit the Emily Dickinson house, it's just so interesting. This amazing poet who wrote thousands of poems that just piled up in her closet that no one ever knew until right around the time she was dying and her sister kept them and later published them. It's like, but she just lived in this one room and it was a room filled with imagination and a room filled with emotional experience. So she could have done pretty well in the pandemic. Other people need a lot wider latitude uh, and you have to let go of that. And and, but to realize that actually, if you just notice moment by moment functioning and how different it is uh, and how different you are every day, that you really can occupy your mind with something very different than thinking, oh no, same old, same old. Oh my God, am I bored? Oh my God, this is terrible. It's like I remember Marsha Linehan working with a client on videotape who would come and complain about her job and her job was boring and terrible. And then she would she would talk about how she was trying to teach the woman to be mindful at work because she thought the woman just would go see the same thing every day. And it would register in her brain as it's just the same job every day. People are being the same every day. The water cooler is the same down the hallway every day. I go there at 10 in the morning to get a, to get my water. And, and sort of like this woman had this way of thinking that everything was just the same. And Marsha just tried like hell to break this up. Say, well, how, why don't you do something different? Break up your routine. Talk to people that you haven't been talking to. Say things that you don't usually say notice things that you don't usually notice. And I want you to do mindfulness practices as if you were an explorer of a new culture. And the culture is where you've been working for the last 30 years. And then I want you to come in and tell me about it. I can't wait to hear what you've discovered. And it's sort of like it was it was brilliant way of of thinking about that is that you once you realize that the world is actually not just the same, that it is changing all the time, it's much more dynamic. Even if your world is a very supposedly a small world, it still could be a big world. So there, so that's another kind of um, insight, you might say, from present moment thinking. What's another one? Um, another one is the is the principles of interbeing. So not only do you notice that you're attached to things and that you can you have the capacity to some degree to let go, and that changes everything. And you have the capacity to notice that everything in the world, including everything in yourself, is impermanent. And therefore, you can things will change if you just wait. They're changing even as you're waiting. Um, and you can treasure the present moment more, which brings more of a solution to how to live your life. But now it's like noticing how unbelievably interdependent we are and how we are affecting each other so constantly just so constantly that that the world, they, um, This this will sound grandiose, but I don't mean it this way, because I could say this about any one of us. The fact that I have given this podcast just now has changed the world. I mean, it has changed a few of you. And even if you didn't like it, if you got a new idea, one new idea, got transmitted into your brain. And now where you go tomorrow, you transmit it in some way, whether you know it or not, to somebody else. And by the time, you know, you get around that idea that, you know, one one butterfly flapping its wings changes things on the other side of the world. And it's true because we are so interdependent. We are so exquisitely sensitive to each other. We notice so many changes. We notice what the mood is of people that we're with. And we notice that it's a little different today than yesterday or than last time. And then we, and, and that affects us. And so all, what, and, and also when you grasp this principle, you realize that everything you do is actually not you doing it. It isn't you doing it. Like if I had images on videotape of the last five generations of men in my family going back into Sweden, and my father, who did a lot of sort of singing, solo singing, and my grandfather, who was a dairy farmer in the state of Washington, and by later in his career, did a lot of workshop teaching about the economics of dairy farming in the Northwest. I mean, if I could see what they were all doing, I probably, whatever gesture I'm doing right now, whether you can see it or not, I'm doing a gesture, it probably didn't come from me. I mean, there's no me there. Is the thing when you start thinking deeply about interbeing, about interdependency, the boundaries start to fall away, and you realize actually I am part of a much larger whitewater raft than I thought. I thought I was in my kayak going down the whitewater, but actually I'm in like a raft with about you know three billion people, and as we go down, if one person moves a certain way in the raft, it changes everything in the raft. And it's much more obvious if it's just two of you or four of you or five of you, but actually everything's different because of what one person does. That's different. So, and, and you take in everything. And so everything you think is you, because you think, because we learn in our lives that we're autonomous beings and we're independent and we're responsible for straight line destinational functioning. And so that's how, that's who we are. And somewhere back in my brain, There is a self there. There is a homunculus. There is something that is directing all of this that is specifically and uniquely Charlie Swenson. But actually, if you look carefully, even that specifically unique Charlie Swenson homunculus is made up entirely of other beings that taught him, that were him, that are in his genetic pool, or whatever it is, so that when you think that way, It's not just philosophically interesting. If you allow yourself to think that way and not become psychotic while you do it, I mean, you just notice, oh, my God, yes, everything is so interdependent. You know, it changes you. And it changes you during pandemic functioning, too. For one thing, you realize, do you realize that right now there's about three plus billion of us that are going through this? And we're all having adjustments and everybody I talk to, it's the same thing. I had a thought and we just have to stop in a couple of minutes. I have a thought, you know, a few weeks ago, like it's so cold and we can't see friends. So we should get like a, a fire pit in our backyard. So people can gather at least around the fire. And then I think, wow, what a brilliant idea I've had. Then I go online and learn that every fire pit has been bought. You know, it's like, oh, somebody else had this idea. Then I talk to friends. So then I get a call from friends. Hey, do you want to come over? We have a fire pit I Think, God damn it. I was just going to get a fire pit. What do you mean you got a fire pit? And I realized that we're all in this together and we come up with the same experiences, even though we think in our own little isolated self, which is actually a painful way to live in our own little isolated self, that actually all, all of us are going through it. And the more we could group together, like when, when in my skills group, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that one of the patients in my skills group said oh i'm doing yoga with so and so on her youtube channel and four others are doing the same thing and they didn't know that suddenly there's a joining among them and actually it was a it was a it was a great moment in our group because we have a group of people many of whom live kind of in isolated ways but actually oh my god we're all doing it so there's this way in which they're not they're affecting each other they're interdependent And nobody is is in it alone. The last thing I'll just say just before we stop, because I forecast that there's this many principles, there's this one more thing you really notice that Linehan made a lot out of, and that really is kind of the cornerstone of validation in life, which is to recognize when you look really carefully and think carefully about everything that happens, is that everything happens because it was caused by everything else that happened just before. And so everything, as Linehan put it, is perfect as it is. That's a DBT phrase. It's also a phrase within certain spiritual practices. Everything is perfect as it is, which doesn't mean perfect in that it was pr- pleasant or good or something we like, but it's perfect because it had to be that way. And even the way I, my gestures are, and my voice right now, and the fact that I'm ending a minute or two late, Everything is just as it should be, given everything that is, given who I am, given what the moment is, given what everything's going on with you guys. And, and so it's kind of like, of course, if you could just live that way, you'd just be going around saying, well, of course, of course, my mother didn't understand me. Of course, I felt terrible when X or Y or Z happened then you self-validate. Well, no wonder that happened. It's not because I'm a bad self. It's not because I, I'm. there's something inherently deeply wrong with me. It's because it happened. And it's been like some other things that happened, but all of them happened because they're perfect as they are. They had to be that way given everything else. And so if you're thinking that way, it's kind of like a way of validating the universe, validating other people and validating yourself. And it does not take away from the fact that you may totally disagree with something, but you validate it by just saying, I acknowledge that this is reality. This is true. Actually, next week, well, now I'm a little in the quandary. Now I've tr- created a problem for myself because I had other things I was going to talk about this week. But I also also had an idea about what I'm talking about next week. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but stay tuned if you're interested. But I, I was going to talk next week about um, the role of truth and facts and lies uh, in 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 therapy and in life and and in relationships you know as it as as it's been such a focus in our culture right now but anyway uh, every just remember that everything's perfect as it is but it doesn't mean that it's something you want to continue might you might want to radically change everything but still it is as it is and it's perfect as it is It's a way of understanding things that helps you validate what is and live with what is rather than always be thrown off and always ajarred and always upset. So I, you know, I hope that something in here, like I said, I hope there was one little thing that happened while I was talking that actually got into your head and that you thought was interesting and that you take it somewhere, whether it's to solve things for yourself or other people that you're with or just sort of something to think about. So thanks for paying attention. If you've, been through this if you didn't like tune out after the first 3 minutes and um and I look forward to uh to more podcasts in the future so send uh through my website you can send messages to me uh I'm not going to go over what my email address is right now though I have no problem I've done it before but it's just easy for you to know you can go to my website if you want to give me any feedback or or raise any question I did get a couple things after last time that was really cool so I appreciated every everything that comes in, I do give it some thought, even if I don't immediately respond. Okay, so take care, everybody. Have a good week. Stay safe. Um, We're all going to get there. Okay, bye.